What tends to drive your spirituality or to drive your carnality? Is it when things are good, things are bad, or things are neutral? I want you right now to take a mental journal of yourself. When are you most spiritual, when things are bad or when things are good? When are you most carnal, when things are bad or when things are good? Well, right now we're in a season when things are pretty bad. We had it good for a long time and we were at ease. And then COVID-19 and the commotion came and no telling what else is about to happen to us this fall. We need to be spiritual people during this time because I'm telling you right now, the people that want to be spiritual, they're being spiritual. The people that want to be carnal, they are being very carnal. And Jesus told us these things would happen. Luke 21, Luke chapter 21, a very, very important chapter that I think speaks of the times and seasons that we are in. At the end of it, after Jesus talks about the great signs that would come to introduce the beginning of sorrows, Jesus reminds his followers to take heed to yourselves. Take heed to yourselves. You notice he doesn't say worry about others. But in the last days, you know it's coming when the only person you can really worry about is yourself. He says, Take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, cares of this life, and that day come upon you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Jesus is obviously saying here that before all of the judgments come, it will be a time of partying. It will be a time of uh, the culture will be, be carefree, who cares, have fun, do whatever you feel. If it feels good, do it. Do it in the road if you must. That's just the idea of the world. And Jesus says, don't be caught up in that, all of the carousing, the drunkenness swept up in the cares of this life. But he said to, to us, you need to be praying. You need to be praying you are worthy to escape these things. That's where the pre-tribulation rapture comes from, the catching away of the church. Counted worthy to escape these things and be able to stand with the Son of Man. I tell you what, folks, you don't want to be left behind. And the signs that Jesus told us about and all the other prophets, they're coming to pass. We are in the midst of pestilence. There has been earthquakes. There is commotion. There's wars. There's rumors of wars, and there's famines in various pockets all throughout the world. And yes, there are fearful signs happening in the sky. All of these things happening in 2020. Sure, all of these things have happened throughout history since Jesus came, but the real question is, and the real sign of the prophecies of Jesus, is that all of these things, they are happening at the same time and at the same season. And that is a major, major red flag, a major, major sign. Hey, start praying. Get ready. We need to be ready uh, to meet the Lord in the air and to be able to stand for him. You do not want to be uh, left behind. So uh, I'm glad you're here today. SSWJG, we, we're the home of God, Bible, and church. That's what really this is all about. Those are the three foundational ideas and subjects that we bring to you on a weekly basis Spirit Signal with Justin Gleason is available on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, Android Player, Truth Radio app, and syndicated across many, many uh, uh, podcast RSS applications. And we are here for you on a weekly basis every Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. 
Please help keep SSWJG free to the public by giving. And no, I am not asking for your money. I'm asking you to subscribe and give a great review and rating. Chances are you're probably listening to this on Apple Podcast. Scroll on down, give us a five-star review, and then click write a review, write a review, and tell the world what you think about this episode that you are listening to. And also, I want to encourage you to visit the uh, Spirit Signal with Justin Gleason library. Continue to scroll and listen to our past episodes. Uh, you were listening to the 25th, 25th original or 25th official uh, podcast episode, and uh, we've got a lot of great stuff that we've been putting out this year, and I know it will bless you. Uh, some of our top episodes include the Daniel series. It was Pray Like Daniel, Fast Like Daniel, Understand Scripture Like Daniel, uh, The One How to Avoid Burnout, The Spiritual Burnout One, and Signs That You Found Your Wife. Really, really all of our episodes have been successful, but those are the ones uh, that are in the top three, and I know they will be a blessing uh, to you. Uh, let's stay connected. Follow me on Facebook pages, Instagram, Twitter, and now Parlor. We've got a little Parlor account going on. Uh, follow us. Our username across the board is Justin C. Gleason. You can also contact me at spiritsignaljg at gmail.com. Reference the episode notes down below for more information. Podcasting is the future, and with the help of your loyal listenership, I am going to have a future in it. I want to talk to you about several things today. Uh, the subject, Rebecca covers her face. We're going to look at Rebecca, the matriarch. Also, about the uh, comet that's in the sky and the uh, disastrous exorcism performed on Bethel's stage a few weeks ago. Uh, so we hope you learn a lot and you enjoy it. And uh, please uh, share this episode with your friends. Reading from the book of Genesis, uh, chapter number 24, and uh, begin reading at verse number 58. It says, Then they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and the men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become the mother of thousands, of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. That prophecy came to pass, by the way. Verse 61, Then Rebekah and her maids arose, and they rode on camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. Now Isaac came from the way of Berlearoya and dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. And he lifted his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. Then Rebekah lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel. For she had said to her servant, Who is the man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took a veil and covered herself. She took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Um, I like this this entire chapter. You need to read the entire chapter. Uh, parents and and single young people, you need to read this chapter. It's It's a beautiful chapter. On the beginnings of the marriage of Isaac and Rebekah, one of my favorite marriages uh, all throughout the Bible. And it begins with Abraham, Isaac's father, requesting his servant to go to his own people, his own countrymen, 
to find a bride for his wife. And I want to say right off the bat, let's begin with this. Parents and pastors and and elders in, in young people's lives, you need to be involved with who young people are dating and who they are marrying. Okay? You need to be uh, involved. It's, it's a big problem that I'm seeing all throughout the church. See, Abraham cared who his son married. His servants cared who his son married. And I'm hearing it and I'm seeing it too much nowadays. Parents are saying, well, I don't care. And I'm not talking about parents of the world. I'm talking about parents of the church who have adopted the culture of the world in that, oh, I don't care. They're old enough now. They can make their own decision. That is dysfunctional. Okay? Parents, you brought your children into the world. You raised them, hopefully more than raised them. Hopefully you trained them in the way they should go as the Bible teaches. And you need to speak into their life. And you need to be a voice of wisdom and guidance in who your children are marrying. Because very rarely does any young person make a good decision all on their own. It's very difficult. There's a reason that the old saying is still effective today. Love is blind. And who you married, you need to have a second, third, and yeah, I say a fourth pair of eyes on that type of situation. Parents, you need to be involved with that as Abraham was. And Abraham said to his, uh, to his servant, who was probably Eliezer, Eliezer but uh, Genesis 24 just refers to him as uh, Abraham's oldest or his leading servant. He said to him, don't, don't pick a bride for any of these girls around here, all of these Canaanite women. He said, go to my countrymen. And that, that just goes to show how powerful I think a father's uh, voice is. Parents, don't let your children date or marry somebody of this world. It's in the Old Testament. Abraham stood for it, and it's also New Testament. You can read about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul said, you can marry, but only marry in the Lord. Apostolic parents, you need to be forbidding your children to marry, forbid your children from marrying anybody outside of the apostolic church. Marriage is already complicated enough. Why complicate it more by marrying uh, outside of the church, marrying outside of what the Bible commands? So don't marry an outsider. So parents have a voice, and then you also need to have maybe another family member, uh, maybe a, uh, one of your brothers, your sisters, your cousins, or a trusted, worthy person in the family or in the church to also uh, have an opinion on who your son or daughter is dating and looking uh, to marry. And kids, kids, youth, hyphen, you need to be listening to your parents. You need your parents on this. You need your pastor on this. Uh, and I, I just want to say, daughters, girls, but boy, your dating needs to pass your dad test. Dad needs to test him. Dad needs to test him. And your father will know how to do that. And guys, the girl you're dating, she needs to pass the mom test. She needs to pass the mom test. I had several girls that I that I dated before I got married, and they didn't pass the mom test. Okay, But my, my wife, Sister G, when we were dating, I brought her uh, to meet my parents, and uh, she passed the mom test pretty quickly, so I knew that she was the one. So praise God for that. Okay, so yeah, pass the mom test. Pass the dad test. Parents get involved, and you're setting your, your children up for a beautiful, wonderful wedding and a great marriage, just like Isaac and Rebecca had. Another depth to the um, bringing together of Isaac and Rebecca is what... Abraham said to his, his servant in Genesis 24, verse 7, he said, an angel will go before you. That is code for, this is going to be a spiritual journey. Heaven is involved with this. 
the angelic beings, the messengers that have come from heaven will be involved with this because bringing a couple together cannot be done by mankind alone. It cannot be done by earthly, earthly means. It has to be arranged by God. There has to be another spiritual party involved in this, and that is what the angel's job was. And this is where some people believe in the dispatchment of angels. Uh, I, don't, I don't really believe in that. If your pastor teaches that, that's fine. There's, there's certain lingo and language in it that I really don't think is biblical. I just believe if you're living a life that pleases the Lord, living a life that the angels uh, find, find to be true, holy, and righteous, you're just going to have angels working with you. And uh, Abraham didn't send the angel. He just had in-depth spiritual knowledge into the spirit world, Abraham understood the spirit signals and he knew that an angel was involved in this because him and his wife Sarah were getting old and God had to raise up another patriarch and a patriarch can't be a patriarch without a matriarch. So yeah, he had to go out and get a matriarch, a bride for his uh, son Isaac. And Abraham knew that the Lord had sent his angel to guide him throughout his journey into the promised land and God would do the same thing with his son Isaac in the choosing of a bride. Uh, Angels are real people. I, I, and I would like to believe that if you're listening to Spirit Signal, you are an angel believer and you want them living in, in your world with you. You want them in your home. You want them in your car. You want them with you at work. You want them everywhere, especially during the time of pandemic, for the angel to guide you, the angel to uh, help you, the angel to be a hedge of protection around you. If you, if you want to know what the hedge of protection is, taken from Job, that's, that's the accompaniment of angels. Angels are the hedge of protection. God doesn't grow a, a, a big uh, circle of shrubs a bunch of boxwoods around you. Oh, no. It's the angels of the Lord, the guardian angels. That's what the hedge of protection is. Uh, I came across a uh, extraordinary picture on a Facebook evangelist, uh, Doug Kleindens. And, and if you've been listening to Spirit Signal, you know that we are big fans of Brother Kleindens around here. Uh, visit his website, dougkleindens.org, for uh, his products, his materials, and make sure to follow him on social media. A great preacher and teacher of the Word of God. He had a uh, live streaming uh, podcast with Bishop Edwin Harper from West Virginia. And Bishop Harper told the story of a man in his church who had a, a fire break out on his, on his property. And the fire began to spread, and he tried to put, put the fire out. But you know when a fire begins to spread, there's nothing you can do about it. And so all he did was uh, pray. And when he opened his eyes, he looked, he saw an angel of the Lord stopping that fire. He saw the angel of the Lord. And uh, you can see it clearly on the on the picture. I, I copied it and posted it on my social media several days ago if you want to go back and see it. And you can clearly see a big fire, and to the right of it, you can see a being with wings, with a body, with its hands out, stopping that fire. Okay, uh, we, we've talked a little bit about angels. We probably will in the future. But I, I just want to say this. Commonly, when angels are seen, they look like, they almost look like old faithful. Old Faithful in Yellowstone National Park, they look like a pillar of mist, a pillar of white water shooting in the sky, almost like a cloud. That's how they are often seen. I've, se- I've seen them look uh, exactly like human beings. I've, I've seen them look like the, the mighty uh, angels that you hear about in the Bible, uh, the mighty messenger angels, also the, the, the mighty angels of war and the angels of worship. But here, the, uh, the, the angel looks like a, like a pillar of cloud and is stopping that fire. And it, it is just absolutely magnificent to see. Uh, it's a very uh, touching story and a very uh, great thing to behold. So you might want to take, take a look at that. And then just live a life uh, fearing the Lord. The angels camp around about them that fear him. And who knows, you could be 
approaching a car accident and the angel turns your car somewhere else or whispers a word to you to pull off to the exit and get yourself a cup of coffee. So that's what happened here. Uh, the angel of the Lord went and arranged the meeting of Abraham's servant and Rebekah. Uh, the angel guided, the angel guided the servant there to uh, that region of Mesopotamia, a land he'd never been to. He could have stopped at any well. He could have been to any place. He could have met anybody. But the angel of the Lord guided him to meet Rebecca. Rebecca could have gone to another well. She could have gone at a certain time. She could have gone at another point. She could have come there in a bad mood and not wanted to uh, fulfill the signs of the Lord. But the angel of the Lord brought them together. Abraham's servant sought for a sign. And he said, God, I'm going to ask a maiden there at the well to give me a drink of water. And if she gives me a drink and offers to give my camels water, then I will know that this is the girl that you have chosen to be the matriarch, to continue to fulfill the promises that given to your son, your servant Abraham, to make us a great name, to give us a uh, uh, to make give us great descendants like the stars of the heaven, and the sand of the sea, and to also give us land. We got to raise it, raise it up. We got to keep it going. This is very important. So this is the sign that I'm asking you, God, for. And yes, I know Jesus said a wicked generation seeks after signs. You notice Jesus doesn't say, you are wicked for seeking after signs. Oh, no, because righteous people ask God for signs. They need to know uh, what God is communicating, what God is saying. What Jesus is also saying is, it's not just righteous people that want to see God perform. Oh, no, wicked people want to see it. The difference is, true signs follow a believer, but no sign is given to the wicked people except maybe the sign of Jonah. All the sign that wicked people are ever going to get is a preacher. God ain't going to perform a sign for you, okay? You want to get the Holy Ghost with the sign of speaking in other tongues, and you're just to do it just to prove God, possibly prove God wrong. You're not going to get the sign, okay? All you're going to get is the preacher, and you need to follow the preacher. Uh, so that's that's the difference uh, uh, of it. Praise God. I could close this episode down right now, and we'd have a good show. But I, I'm going to keep going, okay? You get all that for free. Okay, asking God for a sign, particularly where to go work, where to move to, what to buy, who to marry, all of those things, you can't overgeneralize it. For instance, you can't say, God, I'm going to marry Susie over there, and I'll know this by a sign if the sun comes up tomorrow. Well, you can't do that because the sun's going to come up whether or not you're going to marry Susie or not. That's just God's divine order of creation. You can't overgeneralize it. But rather, signs need to come by way of testing. And what Abraham's servant did was he wanted a woman, he knew the matriarch had to be like Sarah, in that she had to be hospitable and she had to be spiritually sensitive. And he took, for instance, the act of giving water. Okay, back, back then, yes, hospitality was very important, but not everybody followed that. One, one of the reasons Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities of the plain, uh, were destroyed was how they treated uh, travelers, sojourners, people who journeyed there. They were very cruel and very corrupt to them. Uh, it was usually uh, committed the sins of theft and homosexual rape. That's what Sodom did. That's one of the reasons why God uh, torched it to the ground. So uh, Abraham's people uh, didn't want to have any part of that. They, they had to be hospitable and spiritually sensitive. And he put a test out there for a girl to follow in that she would give him water and then offer to water the camels. That would be the sign that she was hospitable and spiritually sensitive. And here comes Rebecca. Uh, of, of the house and the lineage of a of Abraham. Yes, she was. And she came there and she met all of the qualifications. She met Abraham's qualification to be uh, of, of, of his people of Mesopotamia or of the Chaldeans. 
She showed hospitality in giving the servant water and offered the camels exactly the way he asked God for. It was just a sign, and it was really New Testament when Jesus said, if they ask you to go a mile, go a second mile. So that's what she did, hospitable. Very, uh, uh, she was a servant, and angels are drawn to that, by the way. Uh, you read in Hebrews 1, entertaining angels unaware. Entertaining angels unaware, meaning showing hospitality. You never know. You could be uh, serving a cup of coffee to an angel that asks you of it. Oh, yes, it's real. It happens. Uh, Brother Kenneth Reeves talked about this a lot extensively in his books and some of his audio teachings that I think you should acquire, uh, read, and watch, and listen to. And then uh, uh, Rebecca was sensitive enough to know that this was God. You know, she never meets this man, never been from the, never met the family that he's from, never knew Isaac, never knew, didn't know anything about the 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 area of, of the promised land. But she was spiritual enough to know that God was involved in this. She knew it. She knew it. The decision was put into into her hands. Do you want to go with this man? And she said, "Yep, God is in this," and she did it. And then I want to get to uh, specifically to talk about she covered herself before she met Isaac. Uh, I, I want to say I thank God for apostolic women and modest women who are opposing the culture nowadays by remaining modest and remaining godly and remaining holy. And this uh, remaining uh, pure and perfect for your husband. You notice this in Genesis 24. It talks about Rebecca being a godly woman and a virgin, never knowing any man. This is favorable in the eyes of God and favorable in the eyes of angels. And girls, this, this, this is taught in the Bible. It's very specific. It's very special. It's no wonder God chose the Virgin Mary uh, to bring the Son of God into the world. Keeping your virginity pleases the Lord. It may not be politically correct. It may not be culturally acceptable, but it's biblically correct. It is godly, and if you want to attract a godly man, you got to do godly things, and that is keeping your virginity for your husband, and likewise, husbands, keeping your uh, virginity uh, for your wife. And all of this is summed up in one moment when Rebecca covers her face. She sees her future husband coming, and she covers her face. That's what a godly woman does. She keeps herself covered. And th this was uh, taken, uh, and it's done throughout biblical marriages, and a form of this is done even to nowadays, and the bride veils herself when she is brought to the husband, and the husband removes that veil from her. And it's a sign, it's a message that the, that the bride sends uh, to the husband, that uh, it's a sign of my modesty. The bride veils herself to signify that she has reserved herself solely for her husband, and it is only he who will be able to uncover her. Obviously, the wedding night, he uncovers her fully. That's uh, one of God's uh, gifts to the bride and the husband. It is it is the bride and the husband, their wedding night, to be able to share uh, the love and intimacy to consummate their marriage and remain in that way, in that pattern, uh, for the rest of their lives and the rest of their their marriage. But this, this is a sign. I, I am only going to let you uncover me, and the only... A uh, way that I will ever be uncovered is my face publicly before all of these, but the rest of my body remains covered, and it's only for you to uncover uh, for us in private. That is the apostolic way. That is the New Testament way. But the way of the world is when the woman approaches the man, she's not covering herself, but rather she uncovers herself. Oh, yeah. You see, everything that God does, everything the Bible does, everything the church does, Satan does the exact opposite. It is his way of counterfeiting. And nowadays, you see it, immodesty is prevailing. These yoga pants, oh my goodness. These spaghetti strap shirts, 
these uh, clothes that just look like house pajamas that women are out there wearing in public. You know, I used to struggle with our doctrine of modesty, but nowadays I'm looking at it and it makes sense. The way an apostolic woman dresses, a non-form-fitting top and a, and a dress, it hides a woman's figure. It reveals not her body, but reveals her dignity. And that is the only way to go. And not only that, but it's separate from the, the way a man dresses. And, and nowadays I'm seeing that that out there. I mean, you, you every, just about every month, you will if you're out in public, you will see a man dressed as a woman. Literally, a, a, a man dressed as a woman or a woman dressed as a man. And we as the apostolics are keeping this message alive in the book of Deuteronomy 22. A woman shall not put on clothes that pertains to a man, and neither shall a man put on clothes that pertains to a woman. This this is where all <laughs> this is rooted in, and it, it's pleasing to the Lord. It's giving gender distinction. And as the world goes more and more uh, down the pathway to hell, the church goes more and more down the path of righteousness uh, that leads to heaven. So girls, remain modest. Don't wear the pants. Keep yourself covered. And the only place and time that you need to uncover yourself is for your husband. Your body is a treasure for the eyes of your husband and no other man alone. And so that's why you got to read your Bible. You got to put that in your head. Get that message. Get that culture in your head. Uh, ask your pastor's wife questions. Ask your youth pastor's wife questions. And guys, do, uh, do the same thing. We need to get knowledgeable on the message of modesty. And it comes from a lot of these matriarchs in the book of Genesis. Sarah. Rebecca and Rachel. You, you just look at Rebecca. She was a powerful, powerful uh, woman and was very connect, connected to the New Testament apostolic church, uh, even in Old Testament times, in remaining covered and remaining pure and remaining holy uh, for her husband. But the, but the world's message for women is uncover yourself. Go ahead and expose your body. Now, understand this. I have no problem with a woman being a woman. And I don't think any other man of God listening to this or any of my friends would have any other problem with that statement. We have no problem with a woman being a woman. And I have no problem with you being proud of the way you look. But you need to be proud of the way you look with your clothes on. Be modest. Be modest. Conceal yourself. Don't reveal your body, but reveal your dignity. The way of the world is uncover yourself in the presence of a man. Expose your body. I remember for a long season in time, it seems it seemed like you could not get on any news app, any social media without seeing Kim Kardashian's posterior. I mean, you look here, there there's Kim's rear. You look there, there's Kim again. It's like the media was just obsessed with that. And that just became the 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 model of the modern day woman. This is why I thank God. Anytime I'm out on a walk with my family and I look at other neighbors and husbands and wives are out pushing their baby carriages, and I, I just love that. I love I love going to the park and seeing women proud to be moms and taking care of their mom, taking care of their children and being a good wife to their husband. You know, for a long time I thought that it only exists in the apostolic church. Oh no, this culture is starting to wake up to it. That the modern day woman, the goal of it, and the and and how to achieve happiness is to be a good wife and to be a good good mom. It's not the way Hollywood and not the way the world uh, rep represents uh, a woman. You know, going out, getting drunk, going to the club, like Jesus said, don't be caught up in carousing. Going to the club, and and uh, getting drunk and pass out and wake up the next morning about a, around around a bunch of men that you don't even know with your skirt up over your face. 
That is the way the world teaches. That's the way the world wants a woman to be. It's that spirit of seduction. It's that spirit of lust. And I tell you what it leads to. It leads to children born out of wedlock. You want to know what Dr. Ben Carson said? The two leading causes to poverty is a child born out of wedlock and a lack of education. That is why being godly not only pleases God, but it's setting you up for a life of success. Don't lie down with a man until the wedding day. Don't lie down with a woman until the wedding night. Amen. It's biblical. It's pleasing to God. So I believe the proper order taken from this story and taken from other biblical passages about marriage that women, men and women should need to do, youth and hyphen, I'm, I'm giving you a, a major treasure right here, a big old huge chest of silver and gold right here. I'm going to give you the proper order that you need to approach uh, marriage. First of all, you need to date and court. Okay. Some people say date. Some people say court. Uh, whatever, whatever, however you want to approach it. I, I kind of look at them as the same thing. Courting is kind of more Christian lingo. Dating is kind of in the world. But I, I dated. I believed in uh, picking up a nice girl, you know, slicking my hair back, washing my car, take her out for a nice steak dinner. You know, girls want to dress up and be taken out because they want to be seen. That is a good way to win a woman's heart and a good way to build a relationship on good food and good talking. Because let me tell you, marriage is meal after meal after meal, thousands of meals facing the same person. So you better learn to be able to do that while you're dating. And, of course, talk is good. Talk is cheap. Talk is wonderful. Talking is one of the greatest uh, pleasures in a marriage to be able to have conversations with that special person that you're not going to have with anybody. So, yeah, learn to date. Learn to court. Uh, Then you approach engagement. Yeah, the man needs to propose engagement, of course, after talking and getting the blessing of her father and her pastor and some of the people that know her and know you that trust that you trust to get their uh, permission and blessing to do so. You got to you got to have that. And then you have a wedding. OK, then you move in together. OK, then you have children. All right. So, yeah, you date, you court, you get engaged, you have a wedding, you move in together or you lie down together, you consummate your marriage. Uh, and, the, and then you have children. That's the proper order. But the world nowadays tends to look at that like a, def, a deck of cards and shuffle it. <laughs> they don't date and court in the beginning. No, no. They like to consummate that marriage very quickly and then uh, have a child and then perhaps date and then perhaps have a wedding and then move in together. Or they like to, first of all, consummate, then move in together. Uh, then have children and then uh, get engaged and then get married and then perhaps maybe court and date. <laughs> so yeah, that the world has just messed up the divine order of a husband and wife being brought together. Do it God's way. You're setting yourself up for success in this life, and you're setting yourself up for success uh, in the life to come. So yeah, the shacking up, all of that, it don't work in the eyes of God. Uh-uh. Don't be lying down with your boyfriend. Don't be lying down with your significant other. That is reserved for husband and wife. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what God wants. And we've got to get back to that. And you know what? A lot of newer disciples in the church, this is foreign to them. But you know what? They want to hear it. Pastors, don't be afraid to teach it. Don't be afraid to talk about it. I, 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 don't, I don't care. You may ruffle a few feathers, but who, who cares? It's the Word of God, and you might as well teach it and preach it. If you teach the Word and you do it in love and do it in respect and not to call out anybody or humiliate anybody, it will be well-received, and people are, are going to start following this. And you know what? The church will appreciate it. Families will definitely appreciate it. And you know what? The world will look at it and say, hey, these Christians got a good thing going on. Let's, let's uh, follow it. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, my friend, Pastor Alex Camp from my own state, my own district, the district of Missouri, 
He sent a, a message on Facebook about how, what, who and what sign did God give you to bring you and your spouse together? And Brother Camp says, in a short version, when I lived in Germany, my dad was in the army, the years 2008 to 2009. A couple in our church who met my family as a child, they also knew my future wife's family since she was a child. His wife's name is uh, Ashley, Sister Ashley. Her family was also on their way to be stationed in Germany. Her family was Air Force. And the husband of this couple in our church mentioned that he thought that we would make a great couple. So they, this couple introduced Alex and Ashley. They were very open about how that much they thought we would make a good couple, and we were married in 2010, and the rest is history. Boom. There you go. So this couple there in Germany, they were, as it were, Abraham's servant. They knew Alex, his family, when he was a kid. They knew Ashley and the family when she was a kid, and they knew they would make a great couple. And I'm sure the pastor got involved. Obviously, the families got involved. And there you go. That is a good way to do this thing. And uh, you know what's something? I met Anna, my wife, Sister G, in 2008, and we were married in 2010. So I feel like I am in great company here with the camps. Praise the Lord. So that's what you want to do. Get your parents involved. Get your pastor involved. Get somebody you trust involved. Uh, set up a meeting with somebody. If other people, if, if, if you got a lot of people saying, hey, you make a great couple, you make a great couple, it's probably true. You're going to make a, a great couple. So look for those signs. Pray about it. Search the scriptures about it. Marry somebody who is apostolic. Do everything right. If you, if, you, if you date right, you get engaged right, you're going to have a great mar- uh, wedding, and you're going to have a marriage that is also uh, right. It, it's just as simple as that. I want to move on to Comet Neowise. See, I, I love uh, stars. I love planets. Uh, by the way, in the Bible, you'll never see the word planet. You'll never see the word comet or asteroid. That's because everything back then in the ancient Hebrew and Greek and, and uh, Latin-speaking world, everything was a star in the sky. A, a comet, an asteroid, a shooting star, whatever, those are called stars, sometimes falling stars. Planets were called stars, and of course stars are called stars. And uh, the sun was actually called day star in many places, but, but often in various places of the Bible. Uh, the sun and the moon were not known as star, but sun sun and moon, but everything else was considered stars. So when you're reading your Bible and you're coming across cosmic signs in in, uh, the scripture and it says stars, it could be actually referring to a planet. But I want to talk about this comet uh, that's that's been visible uh, across across the world uh, that's being named Comet Neowise. I've been so excited to see this and I heard that uh, this week, Comet Neowise should be very visible here in the Midwest towards the northwestern sky. So after church, I go to our north parking lot, and I'm looking for it, and I look up in the sky, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, there it is, there it is. So I I have my friend Adam Lampley uh, get out the phone, take a video, (laughs) and I'm like, there it is, Comet Neowise right here. I see it, and the camera picks it up, and then I look a little closely, and I realize, "Uh uh-uh. It's a plane flying into MCI. 
It's a plane. Yeah, it's a plane. So I was greatly disappointed. And ugh. So if you've seen Comet Neowise, would you please send me a picture of it? Please post it on our social media. I would like to know that somebody out there is at least seeing these things. Because it is just neat to see. It's it's very pretty. I, th- I think, hey, guys, here's an idea for a date. Take her out to a nice field to look at Comet Neowise. You can both say that during the COVID-19 and the time of commotion, we saw the sign from God up in the heavens, the fearful sight. Because really, that's what this is. It's all happening at the same time. It just makes sense what Jesus said in Luke 21. You would have pestilence. You would have famines. You'd have commotion. You'd have earthquakes. You'd have all of these things. And, of course, you're going to have fearful signs, fearful sights from the sky, all of these signs happening together. And that's what Comet Neowise is for. It's a sign concerning the the commotion in the earth and, of course, uh, the pandemic that came out of China, the kings of the east. It came out of China called COVID-19 or the coronavirus. But yeah, these fearful signs have happened throughout history. You take a look at the uh, Hale-Bopp comet. According to NASA, this comet came through the Earth's atmosphere around uh, 2200 BC, 2200 years before Christ. You know what? You want to know what happened during that time? According to the Bible, you add up the genealogies. Oh, Noah and the flood. It was a sign to Noah that great destruction is coming upon the world. And when did Hale-Bopp Comet uh, come through a second time again? It came through in 1997. I remember seeing it. I was actually with Brian Fector, Pastor Brian Fector out of Florida. Some of you know him. We both saw this comet. And, of course, what was uh, introduced into that world, uh, well, of course, the new millennium, But the rise of modern evil, modern evil, yes, evil has always been there, but it went to a whole nother level and the shift of the culture change towards the world and really the open, the open exposure of the spirit of Antichrist, the new world order, all of that, militant Islam, uh, the rise of perversion, all of those things happen. So yeah, and it's a sign from God around this season, the end is upon us. Get ready. Jesus is coming. Look busy. Absolutely. You then have another comet called Halley's Comet. This appeared according to history in the year 66, the year 66 or AD 66. You know, it's something four years later, Jerusalem was destroyed in the year AD 70. Yep. The sign of Halley's Comet. Halley's Comet also came again in the year 1910. And four years later, 1914, World War I began and completely changed uh, most of the world, including America, all across Europe, the Middle East, everything. Everything changed after World War One. Uh, here in Kansas City, Missouri, we have the World War One Museum. If you're ever in, in town traveling, you've got to go see it. It'll blow your mind. It'll blow your mind. A major shift happened in the world during World War One. Yes, it did. Okay, and it was preceded by Halley's Comet four years before that. Then you have in the year 1986... Halley's Comet came again, and four years later in the year 1990, Gulf War happened. So Halley's Comet is a sign when it comes. Four years later, you're going to have a major uh, war and commotion in the earth. You then have the Great Comet. Uh, Napoleon wrote about it in his journal. It's in history in the year 1811. That's the rise of Napoleon's empire. Great Comet also came in 1861. That was the beginning of the U.S. Civil War. Uh, You then have a comic... Uh, Comet McNaught in in 2007. That's when uh, the major world financial crisis came. 
So there's just a lot of these that you can find in history. I've, I've just mentioned a few of them uh, here for you. But the comets are just a sign from God in the heavens of the times and seasons uh, that we're in. It usually is a result of war, the rise and fall of empires, a financial crisis, uh, pestilence, all, all of those things. Signs in the heavens do this. Uh, eclipses are this way. You, you remember 2014, 2015, the Tetrod of Blood Moons preceding um, Israel's 70th anniversary and, of course, the war uh, with ISIS, all of those things. And now here we have uh, Neowise, the Neowise Comet in the year 2020, and I believe it has a lot of uh, connection to do with the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, the racial commotion that we're in, and possibly a third thing that could be coming this fall. Who knows? We'll just have to wait and see. Uh, but don't worry. Do what Jesus said. Don't fret. Don't faint. Lift up your head. Be full of faith. Be encouraged. Keep looking up in the sky for your redemption draws nigh. Praise the Lord. Lastly, I'd like to talk about the what is being known around, going viral all over the Internet, the Bethel racism exorcism. The Bethel racism exorcism. Bethel is a, a church, a, uh, a movement. They're actually a very impressive uh, church organization. Uh, they they do do a lot of things right. They have uh, great music. You know, your church, our church sings some Bethel music, and I'm sure yours does too. It just kind of seems how it's been the last 15 years. We as Oneness Pentecostals sing their music, but they preach our messages. Oh yeah, they do. I kid you not. There is a <laughs> preacher of another denomination. I was listening to him, and I kid you not, he said "spirit signal" the other day in talking. I'm like, hmm, wonder where you got that from. Also, I heard somebody say, be natural with the supernatural. I'm like, uh-huh, wonder where you got that from. So we sing their songs, they preach our stuff. But okay, Bethel had an exorcism on their stage. They did their own form of spiritual warfare. A lot of the elders of that church gathered around on the platform, and they expelled the demon racism, the racist or the racism demon. Okay, I saw this uh, on YouTube, published by Chelsea Bedell, and it's titled Bethel Church Casts Out Demon of Racism with Wizard Staff. And Chelsea gives her own commentary. That's how I saw it. And I saw it in a few other places. This isn't a spoof. This, this really happened at Beth, Bethel Church. And the leader of this is, uh, she's called Pastor Marlene Barrett. She's also called Prophetess Barrett. You know, it's something you never see the word prophet with, with a feminine name, a, a feminine prophet. You never have like, you know, a, a prophetess or prophet Deborah or prophet Anna. It's always prophetess, the feminine. Uh, maybe we should do that with pastor. You don't see pastor. And, you know, we got a big push for female pastors. Maybe we should start calling them a pastoress, pastorette. Maybe that would be more appropriate. If we're going to do prophetess, why not pastorette? So uh, Pastorette Marlene Barrett is up there on the platform, and she starts talking about the Lord of the Rings. And she's talking about the battle at the Mountain Peak, I think it's called. It's been a while since I read the Lord of the Ring books and, and seen those movies, and I'm sure you have too. They're, re they're really cool. A lot of neat uh, biblical parallels, but it's not biblical. And there, there's a lot of witchcraft par parallels, if you if you want to know what I'm saying. But I believe Tolkien is safe. It, it's a good escape. It's uh, it's very good fiction. And it's just about the, the rise and fall of empires and, and uh, the, the struggles to do something of valor. You know, and I, I, th I think it's really cool. A lot of great parallels. I like it. But here you have 
prophetess pastorate Marlene Barrett saying, we're going to do what the Lord of the Rings did. And one of my greatest inspirations is, is Gandalf, Frodo Baggins, and the Fellowship of the Ring. It's, she's talking about this scene in the movies. It's, it's after the, at the end of the Fellowship of the Ring and the beginning of the Two Towers when Gandalf, Frodo, and the Fellowship of the Ring, they uh, come against the Balrog, the, the demon of the underworld, who wants to uh, devour and kill and destroy all of them. And Gandalf stops this Balrog by slamming his wizard staff right into the ground, creating a barrier, and he shouts, You shall not pass! And uh, he protects the Fellowship of the Ring by doing this. And Pastorette Bar- Barrett gets up there and does the same thing. She has all the other, all the men, all the other women, the elders of that church, gather around this staff. She says, we're going to slam this stick into the ground, and we're going to tell the racist devil, you shall not pass. Uh, and and, and the, <laughs> one of the other elders speaks and slams his stick in the ground. Now, you got to understand, I, I'm against racism. Racism is a sin. God gave us our ethnicity. Racism is a mockery and a hatred of something created by God. And people are going to go to hell for it. Okay? They will. They sure will. So I thank God for anybody that's out there doing anything to combat this uh, horrible sin and to teach the pathway of righteousness. And and uh, that is love, diversity, you know, all of those wonderful things. But, okay, if, if you're going up against spirit in spiritual warfare, this is not the way to do it. You want to go into spiritual warfare, you're not going to find the proper uh, methodology from the Lord of the Rings, which is which is what Marlene Barrett and the Bethel uh, pastoral ministry staff is doing here. So they start slamming this stick in the ground, and they're looking out in the audience, and I guess they thought revival would break out in that audience. They thought people would start talking in tongues, people would lay out in the altar, people would just fall out, and there would be a great love fest. Well, it didn't happen. Nobody made a sound. Nobody knew what to do uh, because all glory and honor was given to uh, Gandalf the wizard at that moment. It was not about Jesus. It was about Gandalf. It was not the power of the Holy Ghost or the power of the name or the power of the blood of Jesus. You know what it was about? It was about prophetess Marlene Barrett looking profound, creative, and cool to all the viewers. And you know what's sad about this is she kept saying we're apostolic and we're going to have to do apostolic things. Apostolic this, apostolic that. This was not apostolic. This is what I call Gandalf-stolic. They were doing the patterns of Gandalf. Now, I understand in the Bible you have Moses, yes, who turned his staff into a serpent. God did wonders with that. Moses raised up his staff over the Red Sea, and it parted. All of those things. Paul didn't so much use a staff, but he used a handkerchief to send it to people who were sick and demon-possessed. And they were healed, and the demons came out. So yes, God does use various objects to perform miracles by men and women of God. I believe that. I get that. And you know what? I've done it myself. But there are the Bethel elders on the platform with the, the staff of, the, of Gandalf the wizard. This is not comparable to Moses. It's not comparable to Aaron. It's not comparable to like Jesus picking up mud and putting it in a man's eyes or Paul's handkerchiefs or any of those things. You know, this could be possibly be comparable in the Bible. It's it's Gehazi. Putting the stick on on that woman's uh, son who had passed away to check and see if he was alive. And that's really what's going on here. Gehazi's stick didn't work. Gehazi's stick did not work, so Elisha had to come and to resurrect the child, okay? So, yeah, this is Gandalf-stolic. And let me tell you this, the devil ain't afraid of Gandalf. 
I know he crushed that, or he he fell down into that great chasm. My friend, remember Tony Wyatt Jr.'s word of, that I've added to my vocabulary, the great chasm. He fell down into the chasm of the mountain. And uh, through a long battle, it took it took a long time for uh, Gandalf to come out of that, and he needed to have uh, help from the powers of Middle Earth to be resurrected, become Can- Gandalf the White. But that's not how we fight devils, okay? And I believe that, yeah, there there's certainly demonic spirits involved with uh, the commotion and involved in racism, all of that, okay? But uh, uh, here, I, if you if you really think Bethel, that's the, really the way to combat the the demon world of of racism, you're wrong. Oh no. How you combat this is through the power of what Jesus taught us. And he said in the Bible, New Testament, submit yourselves to God and resist the devil and he will flee. So submit to God. Don't give heed to the lying spirits of racism. I've cast out devils in my time. I've heard about it and I've never had somebody tell me I've never seen it, a demon speaking and uh, it'd be a racist devil. I've, I've seen a lot of it have to do with a lot of lust, a lot of perversion, drugs, uh, alcohol, and chiefly witchcraft. You get involved in witchcraft, you are 145% guaranteed to be demon-possessed. That's usually where it comes from. It is witchcraft. When you do witchcraft, you open yourself and your soul to the possession of devils. That's usually where it comes from. And you know what that looked like a lot on that Bethel platform? It didn't look apostolic. It looked Gandalf-stolic, and it really looked like wizardry. It really looked like witchcraft. So I get it. They're trying to, they're, you know, it's a real artistic church. They do a lot of thematic presentations and stuff, a lot of art, a lot of creativity. And I love all that. It's very entertaining to me, and it's a good way to communicate a message. But they were really trying to get into spiritual warfare. And you can't fight the devils with wizardry. You can't do it. So it would have made it better if if maybe Marlene would have got in, in uh, Gandalf's uh, long robe and one of his hats and maybe put a beard on her face and started slamming that stick in the ground. It could have possibly worked or maybe not. I don't know. But I, I, I just want to uh, leave you with this. You know what Bethel needs to remember and anybody else who is slamming sticks into the ground to get to get the demonic Balrogs out of their church? Remember what Gandalf said right before he fell into the chasm? He said, run, you fools. I'm going to leave you with that. So yeah, fools, I'm going to say to you guys, run away from women who uncover themselves. I'm going to tell you, run away from people that say the comments and all of the fearful signs in the sky don't mean nothing. Run away, you fools, from all of the people that believe that we're not in the time of the end. Run away from those type of people. Run away from that. Run to Jesus. Run to God. Run to the Bible. Run to your church. I'm Justin Gleason. You're listening to Spirit Signal. And I approve of everything that I just said. (laughs) 